It's Guild Ball Tonight, your independent source for Guild Ball news, information, and conversation. Episode 53 for December 26, 2016. That will not make it into the outtakes. It is now nearly destroyed by what I'm saying right now. All right, so hello and welcome to another episode of this, the Guild Ball Tonight podcast. Now, I am your sleep-deprived host, Phil, and joining me tonight is our not-foolish-enough-to-get-a-puppy co-host, Bill. How are you doing there, Bill? I am doing very well with such a very long name. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Not-so-foolish-to-get-a-puppy co-host, Bill. Yes. Yeah, we uh, we got a puppy, and... um, he likes to he likes to wake up in the middle of the night and he likes to wake you up in the middle of the night. Well, he doesn't wake me up, but I will I will okay. point out. Okay, he likes to wake one up in the middle yes. of the night. <laughs> so, uh I we should put it right in the beginning of the show how horribly embarrassed I am. Oh, yes. But, first things but, first, but, before but, we but, talk about my puppy, which we won't do anymore. Exactly, but <laughs> so so I have to give a big apology to Ed Churchman. Yes. Uh, for uh, being basically an idiot, but now that he has heard yet again how long of a name I have to remember every episode, mm-hmm. he may understand why I have trouble remembering other people's names. <laughs> However, I think the biggest sin I committed was was you know assigning his magnificent Viking beard yes. to Dave Millington. Yes. Well, you know, a man's beard is his pride. True, true. And I noticed you very nicely offered that I will grow a penance beard, which if anybody has seen me try to grow a beard, it does look like a penance beard. I, I Ultimately, I think that would make us all winners, Bill. Uh, oh, yeah. So sorry about that, Ed. I, uh, I do think, though, that, that Bill, should, Bill should experiment with a beard because, uh, well... I mean, look at it like this, Bill. You would you would save yourself like a good ten minutes in the mornings. Uh, yeah, sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know why anybody else grew a beard, but I grew a beard just because I hated shaving. Really, is basically what it came down to. So, um, you know, tip for all you little leaguers: grow a beard, save yourself some time. Anyway. Uh, what are we talking about this week? I think uh, this week we are going to uh, we are going to be talking about where we're at with season three for the most part. You know, I mean it's all it's all shiny and new, and we are getting in the games that we can get in in this this uh, busiest of <laughs> holiday seasons. And uh, I think I think it's an interesting thing that to to at this point talk about what maybe is and is not going as planned for us among other things uh then we are going to have our interview segment of course uh some some interesting discussion there and then the question segment this week is a little bit different because um i'll let you in on a little secret we're recording this uh, earlier than usual we usually record this the day before the show goes out we're recording it a week before the show goes out which is why i didn't really get all that specific about what our interviews would be and um i also did not want to just throw out our generic uh, ask me twitter questions call because you'd have to wait over a week to get your answers 
So I went to the other Gilball podcasters and I said, Hey guys, uh, give me some free content. And, um, that may or may not have been a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will never discuss the questions we're not answering, but (laughs) they did provide us with more than a few, uh, good questions in fact. And so we are going to, we are going to answer those and the rest will be consigned to history. Um, and not even one of those good histories, like one of those, those bad histories that you get on like, uh, you know, shady websites. So, uh, yeah, so let's go ahead. And now that we have completely destroyed the, uh, the illusion that, uh, everything is normal with this episode, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, everything is about, awesome. Everything is awesome. Yeah. Well, everything is kind of awesome. I think, uh, <laughs> so, so how many games have you played? Like what games have you played? I have played three and a half games under the season three rules, which admittedly is not very many, but my schedule and um, domestic situation, given the uh, the insanities that has been, been visited upon me, uh, have limited me to that. So I've actually played uh, two games with the fishermen and a game and a half with the alchemists now in in with alchemists you played smoke right i played a full game with smoke and a half game with uh the new midas because i just had to i think this will be this is this is going to be a good discussion because i i I have played more games than that but the bulk of my games have been in my big league and they have been with the hunters so you've played Sounds like primarily fish. I've played primarily hunters. Now I've also gotten in, uh, like I got a black heart game in, and because well, you know, union, yeah. and uh, I've gotten a couple of games with scalpel in, which I'm really enjoying my new scalpel lists as I uh, play yeah. around and get them to work. All right, that sounds cool. But there was something that that kind of was I was noticing. Okay, and I'm wondering your your take on this. So. I chose, you know, because my big league was going on, I am playing a guild that got very few changes, right? Just just only a couple of changes overall. Now, I know there's lots of people online who are, who are upset about the lack of changes that Hunters got, and, you know, everybody's looking forward to the new captains and whatnot. But you've also been playing a team that got very few changes. Um, right. You know, Fish, in, fish, in fish was sure. Very lightly touched. Yeah. Um, what is your overall feeling? Do you feel that because now that you've sat down and played, are you feeling that fish may have been a little left behind, or is it not as exciting because they didn't get the changes, or like what's your overall feeling on playing a guild that really didn't change? Well, what I will say with regard to the fishermen is that I really feel like the core changes benefit them so strongly that player changes weren't necessary to feel sort of the the, the weight of the change. You know, when yep. when half your goal attempts are now within tap in and when you can get that 
that counterattack to start off a, a turn that you don't have initiative. Um, you know, it, it they did they did benefit from the right. sort of the the you know the overall basic rule changes. Mm-hmm. I think uh, mm-hmm. as much or possibly right. more than other teams. And you know the the mascot changes I think help them quite a bit because salt is is salt is just not right anymore. I mean he <laughs> he has such he has such a long range that he can attack people from, and he he's so viable as a striker. And then I I then further I go and I play him with with Corsair inevitably. And under Corsair's legendary salt is just not okay. Um. Fair. <laughs> I, I I can't even disagree with yeah. that. So, so he, um, yeah, I mean, the, the game I played against Steve Newton, um, Salt had a chance to, to be a hero, and I actually, I screwed up. I placed the ball in a really stupid spot when I tried to make a uh, a pass to, uh, to Grayscales, and well, I didn't place the ball. I placed salt, which <laughs> placed the ball in a weird spot. And when he somehow still managed to miss the pass, it didn't go well for me. But um, salt was very nearly the hero of the match. And, uh, yeah, he's he's fun to play. And really, I mean, it's not so much that he changed, right? I mean, you know, he got a, a point of kick. But it's the, the way the game changed around the fisherman that made such a difference for them and i think that the you know the other team that i think benefits a lot from from those changes um was the hunters which i know that you're you're a little frustrated with hunters but what i will say about hunters and i'm not the first person to say it but i highly agree with several people who have said it yep is that when hunters lose initiative now they're okay Right, because they can still, they can still do their blessing of the sun father shenanigans. Yeah, uh, just as just as almost better if they lose initiative than when they have it, which kind of gives you the ability to to spend momentum a little more freely, I would think. But I haven't played them yet, so maybe you'll maybe you'll so, counter that suggestion. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's I I can I see that argument. Yeah, I I really feel like. Anybody who's relying on Blessing of the Sunfather means they're relying on character plays, and that is a quick path to failure with Hunters. <laughs> um, so Blessing of the Sunfather is nice, and it, it is important to how the team plays out, but that is not why I felt or continue to feel hampered when I lose initiative. I think Hunters are a team that need initiative because – it they are it is so intricate what you have to do to win with them yeah. that if you concede first activation in not just initiative in the overall game but also activation in a turn it is too easy for your opponent to to sort of tip the apple barrel over mm-hmm. um and and screw up what you need to do uh too easy to you know you have to set things up with hunters a turn or two turns ahead of time. So if you let somebody escape that trap that you set and don't get that first activation to move in and sort of, sort of close things out, 
mm-hmm. you're you're right back to square one having to set up something else. So that's a little frustrating. Uh-huh. I I will say this. I um I do not agree with the 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 depth of frustration that a lot of players seem to have towards the hunters. Uh, but by the same token, every time I get into that discussion, I then get stopped when people ask me, now that I'm comfortable playing them, would I take them to a tournament? Mm-hmm. And right now, I would. I ran into this the other day. I have a tournament coming up. Uh, got asked that question. I have played Hunters in Season 3 more than any other single team by at least a factor of three. And yet, I would rather take a team I'm less... I am more confident in my ability to win a tournament taking a team I'm less skilled or less practiced with mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. taking hunters. Okay. <laughs> right. And, and, and like, I'm, it's, it's so frustrating because I feel like I see what they do now and they're cool and they're fun. And they, even with the changes they got and God bless, I love the changes to Cena. But, uh, even with the changes they got it, um, they they really do struggle. There's 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 no backup plan. Right. Like you're you're all in, and if your plan, whatever yeah. you're all in on, if your plan goes wrong, there's really no recovery. I will I will agree with that, and because that was a season two issue with the hunters. You know, like the thing of for me with the hunters is I'm kind of waiting. And I know you didn't want to talk about the models that are coming because we literally know nothing about them. Right. Right. But I think that what we have to expect with the new models is that maybe they will provide a path that makes the hunters a little bit more of a two and two team instead of a one and four team which i don't know if that's realistic or if it's just wishful thinking on my part because i would play the hunters as a two and two team and i don't enjoy them as a one and four team because i don't (laughs) enjoy one and four teams and see and now i have the benefit of playing in a league so you know, there's there's some differences in the league that I can use to shore up the hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I can buy a sponsorship that for one turn I get two extra mo- uh, two extra influence. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can do different things by you know uh, buying in a, a separate character. Now, for the most part, I've been have not been buying other characters, so I've been playing straight hunters. Um, but I also can. Even if I'm not winning games, I can win my what I'm trying to do in the big league mm-hmm. by even losing games. You know, for example, I'm playing very much a you know a, a six all team, and really most of the time it ends up being a four all or five all team okay. uh, because I am running rampant with the bear and uh, getting as many three point kills as I can. <laughs> so, all right well that i mean that that's a strategy oh yeah um but but you know that is not something that i could then transfer out into into non-league play um it's just it's interesting to me because then when i switch it it's almost a new level of excitement and maybe this is my magpie nature my my faction add you know my <laughs> guild add but when i switch off to one of the teams for example when i switch to my morticians and i look at the changes there um, especially when I start to dive into my union games and I'm like, Ooh, look at all the new, new stuff I have. Um, there's that whole idea of, of excitement and learning and, 
excitement in seeing what's new and how did that turn on or turn off old abilities, uh, playing through, you know, when I played Blackheart, uh, I got off the very cool hit, make somebody pass the ball and move the ball around. Yeah. But I did notice that my expectations, uh, we were talking about this before we recorded, there's like this, this vicious circle of on my mark is really cool if if uh, not that it's not cool, but it, it would have been far cooler just to put it onto his card if Blackheart played the same way. But because Blackheart is slower now and doesn't swing as well, it's not as useful. However, when you do get it off and can set it up, it is really cool. So now it changes the whole sort of cycle of how do I re-enable through the weaknesses that have been built into Blackheart. Right. Right. So... Yeah, I guess that, you know, is Blackheart not kind of working as as expected? I mean, is that that free-flowing play of style? <laughs> well, yeah. you know, and I, one of the things that I think that a lot of us expected just looking at cards was that Blackheart and Midas in particular would just sort of exert their will upon the board. And then it turned out that you have to worry about ranges and dice and engagements and things like that and what i found with midas was that uh he didn't necessarily do what he wants quite as uh quite as unchallenged yeah as expected and i know that when i saw blackheart play he was he was sort of able to string together his filth one time and then nobody was in the right position to do it again. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good point. Um, I ran into, I, there are things I have to unlearn that I wasn't expecting to unlearn. Yeah. Right. When I originally looked at Blackheart, I went, Oh, okay. So they, they made a couple of changes, right? They got rid of commanding aura. I used that in very specific situations. So in my head I went, okay, good. Mm-hmm. Right. My other models, I can't count on one extra dice attack, and I'm not going to get that extra damage now. Got it. Never really thinking, I also have to unlearn the fact that, well, Blackheart also doesn't get the extra dice. Not even I wasn't even looking for the damage. I just don't get the extra dice anymore. So I'm only attack six instead of attack seven. That makes a difference when you're trying to hit four spots on a playbook. Right. Right. So it's it was a simple unlearning that was that made perfect sense, but I. I had gone in with the assumption that there's a way that Blackheart played. They stripped away some of the the buffing, if you will, some of the support he gave to other characters. That also meant he got weaker because he gave that support to himself. A um, couple of times I went and just did a, you know, okay, cool. I set up the board. I knew where I wanted Blackheart to be. And I ended up by the turn three being three inches shy because, hey, he's an inch slower. Yeah, he right? and there were things like that. Where he I was moves like, weird now. Huh. I think, between the, the different ways that he does move, yeah, compared to how he, um, uh, he's not as fast as you kind of expect him to be. Right, and that was where I. There's some things I have to unlearn, but that's mm-hmm. unlearning that cycle suddenly changes. It wasn't just a direct swap out of. I'm going to take commanding aura out and put on my mark in, and now he's going to be a ball player. 
Mm-hmm. He is, but there's these other things I have to unlearn to figure out his positioning on the board and where he's supposed to be. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, and then, you know, on my side, like I said, you know, I, I, I played Fish, and they were they were largely the same as they had been before. It was interesting that um, the, big, the big roster change I made based on the Season 3 changes was to bring... Salt back in, which, as I said, he's he's not right, um, and that's good because I never I never liked the the squid. I mean, he was just really I just he didn't do anything I wanted him to do, and okay. um, it's just one of those things where you know I played three maybe four games with them and just never never came away with the 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 feeling that he had he had done anything that would have been better than just having salt running around doing nothing. <laughs> um, but and, and now uh, salt, salt runs around and does a lot well, until he misses a pass uh, to grayscales and snapshot range to end the game. Um, <laughs> Fair. Well, you know, sometimes dice just don't roll well, Bill. <laughs> sometimes you don't put, sometimes you don't put your player in the right spot either. Um, then, uh, but the, the, the roster change I made was I actually drop Sakana out of my normal, my normal lineup. And I put in Angel because I, I just feel like, you know, with her defensive change, she's maybe a little bit more, um, yeah, it's a little more sturdy. And one of the reasons that I do that is because Sakana, as much as I will admit that Sakana is a... Sakana is an excellent player in theory. When I put my influence on the board, it always ended up that Sakana was sort of stuck with one or two. Yep. And Sakana with one or two is not the same player as Sakana with three or four. But Grayscales and Corsair are so greedy. And the way I play that team is so reliant on Grayscales and Corsair because I just, I trust Grayscales to always just accomplish something. And Corsair is just holding down the middle of the the field. Now, uh, Veteran Siren's efficiency is fantastic. She brings two, she uses two, end of story. And it's just always, she's just, um, I've... I did not think I was going to like Veteran Siren. She has turned out to be fantastic. <laughs> so but that's a good. season two player, so that's maybe not the point of this discussion. But the thing about Angel is that I've actually found that I can do more with Angel with one influence than I can with Sakana with one influence. Because it's probably not that they actually do anything different. It's just that I wasn't expecting as much from Angel. <laughs> that's, <laughs> fair. that's fair. So like, if all she manages to do is go is run over and punt a ball... Or threaten or a, a spot, right? Yeah. Threaten a snapshot, uh, just to to pull some heat off of somebody else. When Sakana was doing that same thing, I would look at his card and I'd be like, "Oh, you know, he's not doing the things that he could be doing." And with Angel, it's like, "Yeah, this is what she can be doing." So I just I feel I feel like I'm wasting less influence, or I'm wasting less opportunity. With, with Angel than with 
Sakana. And it is occasionally fun to just have somebody chase a five defense player <laughs> and then have it not go right for them. So, well, I mean, I, overall, I, yeah. for what you're for just sitting somebody out there, I think Angel is the better choice for you, yeah. right? Her yeah. her kick is better, her defense is better. Right. Um, you know, the the three health difference in mm-hmm. this case mm-hmm. isn't isn't huge. No, because I, I I don't expect her to stick around. Now, you know, I'm sure I'm sure Maurice is probably yelling at us right now and telling me all the ways that I'm completely wrong. Because of course he loves Sakana like no man should ever love anybody other than Flint. <laughs> but um, that that's just the way I play him, right? But, like I'm a terrible fish player. Yeah, Maurice uses Sakana very differently, right? right? He actually gives them the influence. Well, that's the of... thing. He uses Sakana the way I use grayscales. Like he's the player that he trusts, right? And, uh, you know, that, that's a big, that's a big part of how you allocate your influence is you're going to be giving your influence to the players you trust to do work. So, you know, I, I think I probably still give, I don't know. I, I haven't decided if I'm giving too much to Kraken or not. And, um, because when he has a good turn, he has a great turn. And when he doesn't, he doesn't, but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, it's hard to really talk about fish in season three outside of that observation that the core rule changes have really affected them because they haven't really changed much. Now, on the on the alchemist side, uh, with so many players playing differently than they did before, I think it's interesting that the lineup that I went with for my first and and only full game with the alchemist was kind of the players that didn't change much. Okay. And that was just because based on some things that I'd sort of seen other people doing when I was at SteamCon and some things that some conversations I had had about smoke uh and my my sort of obsession with the players who didn't change. So in some respects this is a this is a season 3 team in as much as I was curious I'm still curious as to why two players in particular had no changes and what that means about them and my inability to get any use out of them <laughs> which two and those two use? players are venon and chisel okay now so with venon uh you know I kind of I had never, I had never seen anybody play a, um, a smoke team that was really focused on poison exclusively until SteamCon. Uh, I'd always seen her played sort of as more fire and more poison and sometimes more smoke. <laughs> uh, and um, th- so the the idea of of getting out there with uh, Venon and trying to save his, you know, give him just a single influence, run him into a, a pack of poison players and try to get off his, yep. uh, his heroic as the last activation of the turn or the next to last activation of the turn. If you had initiative, um, you know, looking at his card was kind of like, Hey, yeah, maybe that's a way that I could finally use him to good effect. And I will say that the one time it worked, it was, it worked and that that did set up somebody who was 
damaged enough for veteran catalysts to just come in and, and crush them, which that's a nice pair when it works, but it never worked again. Now, but is it enough to work? Uh, is it enough to work once? Yeah, and that's that's well, sort of and, the question. Right, is it when it works once, is that enough? Right. Um, considering what I had to give up? <laughs> no. I don't think so, because, you know, what was I giving up to get him? You know, I was giving up... Uh, well, I was giving up playing a Midas team. Uh, <laughs> Which, you know, know, let's be honest. Um, I mean, uh, would would Snakeskin have played a better part in that team? I doubt it because it would just be more poison. It's like, how many people can you have poisoned at once kind of a thing? Right. Um, Otherwise, you're just falling back onto the same. I mean, Mercury is, is much better now. You know, Mercury is undeniably better now. And, but then you're falling back onto the, we're just going to do more conditions smoke team. And I was, I was curious to try the, this, this very focused, uh, smoke team that, uh, that I had, uh, talked to a couple people about. And then, uh, heard Jimmy Giblin on another podcast talking about, uh, and it was like, well, you know, if everybody I know is talking about this build, I think I need to try it. Now, of course, it's interesting to mention that nobody who who was talking about it was actually talking about using Venom with it. <laughs> uh, but I don't like Compound, and that's kind of the, the the swap out that I think is probably that I was making there. So, yeah, so Compound kind of remains a, a, an enigma for me because, well, he was good enough not to change, but he's not good enough to make it into my teams, which could just mean that I'm not good at using him or understanding him. I mean, I know the 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 sacrificial puppet nonsense, and, and it, it just always feels like too much work. Um, yeah, I there there is. I think there's a whole discussion there, and 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 I know I said I wanted to stay away from this, but I'm not because I'm bad at that. Um, <laughs> you it got does something me, on your mind. <laughs> well, no, it does make me wonder. Like, there's there's some stuff out there that didn't change. Yeah. Um, does that mean they were good enough or is it actually maybe not so good of a thing, right? Some of the models and even some of the models that did change, but some of those models we saw a lot of is with other changes being made to the game, do we expect to see them drop out of rotation? Mm -hmm. And then you kind of get this, you know, chase your tail type of, type of deal if you're if you're jamie p and the developers and the playtesters of you know well compound or you know venom venom wasn't really in list before we hoped he would be in list we've made some other changes to make poison he's still not in list so maybe we go change him but because of these other changes you know um you know maybe venom's not the best example but there's there's other ones out there chisel i think is a great example uh had a discussion about chisel the other day where where the minor changes that were made around Chisel and the fact that she didn't get a change doesn't necessarily make her bad. I know there's people out there like Dwayne who are basically throwing things at the, the radio right now, but it doesn't necessarily make her bad. But everybody else changed in their role where there's not as much of a role for her in the team anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, there was... I'm sure that the process of choosing 
which players got changes was more complex and more complicated than <laughs> than even we are privileged to. Yep. But um you know, it's interesting that like you know, some of the players that got changed were just players that you would look at them and say, yeah, those players needed to change, you know, the, the meat hooks of the world. <laughs> but now they're in every list. <laughs> well, we don't want to discuss that. Um, the But it's, it's just interesting. Well, it was interesting to me that some of the players who had been, for me, among the biggest riddles in Season 2, because frankly, I love the model for Venon, and I love yep. the model for Chisel. I mean, they're, they were two of my favorite models from season two uh but had just been endlessly frustrated and it's just sort of a you know a a cosmic irony that those would be the players that sort of remained unsolved mysteries <laughs> right <laughs> in a way right. you know i mean the uh, outside of the chisel missile which is has been somewhat diminished i've never uh, found kind yeah, of what it's... she does that's worth giving up a spot for you know i don't know decimate um so it's well and, and that actually goes back to where i was in the beginning right hunters um i've heard i'm trying to remember if he said it on our podcast or on this or elsewhere but uh, jamie has talked about the fact that some of the changes that were put in were because some of the you know hunters are not as widely seen as other guilds and then within the hunters but strangely models like cena and hearn are not as widely seen yet they got very few changes it makes me wonder you know are, are they gonna is there a compelling reason to to for players who didn't take them before to take them now yeah you know um it's it, you know i don't know i guess we'll see as season three progresses but i know you know, there's lots of people super excited about the changes right. and, uh, and I'm super excited about the changes. They just happen not to be in some teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I guess the, the question that I walk away with, because I'm not the, you know, I'm not the, the sort of tournament and tactical genius, you know, I'm, I'm a decent painter and somebody who can be relied on to put out a podcast every couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, the the question I always walk away with is just what am I missing? Because like if 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 a player makes no sense to me but didn't warrant a a change, is there something there that I just don't that you're not seeing? I don't see. So and then what what happens is I inevitably then convince myself that there is something there. And so I feel, <laughs> I feel these players again and again, um, and then frustratingly try to focus on them, in and actually playing them, and end up playing, uh, sort of frustrating and uh, terribly executed games when I do because I'm <laughs> I'm over focusing on achieving some corner case outcome. Um, like trying to herd cats with alchemists so that I could yeah. run in and get three or four people poisoned all at once. Um, <clears throat> so it was, uh, it was interesting. And then, you know, I turned around and I, and I tried to just do a, a Midas, you know, four on the floor, everybody running crazy and 
chickens with their heads cut off kind of kind of game and it was uh <clears throat> we didn't have time to finish it but it had the makings of a fun it's like it, it's nice because in in season one and season two when i would play alchemist i would always play alka union i didn't really play alchemists as alchemist i was one of those people who perpetrated the sin of running two or three uh union players in a midas team yep uh, because I just love that game that you could play with them where you simply ran at the ball on every activation and just kicked and kicked and kicked and you either won fast or you lost fast. Now, how did it feel playing a game where either one, you have to do that without the union players or two, yeah. you can't do that anymore? Um, well, I tried to play that game <laughs> and interestingly, I don't think it was going that badly. I mean, obviously we didn't get to the end, so I didn't, I didn't kind of get a feel for the, whether or not that team could stand up long enough to do that. Yep. I did. I did have Harry, you know, I did have the one union player, but I had Midas I had because he's, you know, he's, he was always a secretly good striker. He just didn't have the influence to to help the team out. Uh, so you know, Mercury, uh, Vitriol, Harry, and then um, who was my fourth in that team? It wasn't it wasn't either of the Catalysts. I almost played. Well, you new, ran. I almost played new old Catalysts. So it was a. I, I don't think it was a perfect team, but it was a team that I was playing aggressively. And having some fun and uh, Midas did sort of get singled out literally and figuratively and was was having some some trouble uh, staying upright. But, uh, you know, I still felt like I was able to close around the close around the flanks. And I thought Harry and and calculus kind of playing in the middle and being sort of a, a pivot point for that team was had something going there. I think that somebody else other than calculus might be the right person for that job, but it, they have a, a much more sturdy center hmm. because, because Harry with the rising anger and stuff does sort of change the, the economy of the middle of the field. <laughs> and until now, who were you playing against? Yeah. You had alchemist. Who was, what team? Was uh, on the other I was side? playing against a, uh, a sort of, uh, more beatdown oriented Mason's team. Yeah, I'm surprised he was in the center of the field. I will say this: my experience with with Harry so far has been a lot of fun, and he hoofs it on the side or the back of the board yeah. every other turn because the uh, the killer uh, the killer scalpel uh, beat him up mm -hmm. mortician's team. I was playing pretty much wrecked him. Every yeah. turn he got near the rest well, of the team. When you play against a, a team that kind of plays that viciously attacking the ball game, sometimes you don't get to play the game you wanted to play. That's true. Uh, when you have to react to the ball instead of trying to go after a, uh, a nice juicy target in the middle of the field, 
um, you know, if, if your actions are dictated for you. And that, that was one of the things that I always liked about that team in, in, in previous incarnations as well, is that it drove the pace of the game. You know, it drove the, it, it made your opponents pick what to do more because if they stopped sort of playing your game for a second, you were probably going to get a goal. Right. Unless the ball was just in a really weird place. And so one of the things that people would often learn how to do is put the ball into a really weird place where I couldn't get it for half a turn and then I was doomed. But you had to play against somebody who had seen it enough to know how to play against it. So Now I do have to say this. Um, I have not experienced it yet. However, um, I did notice it from across the table, which is now that Graves is on the table more often, um, he has a tackle on one. He is great oh, yeah. at taking the ball. <laughs> I don't. I haven't played against. I haven't played against uh, New Graves yet. So I. Uh, well, I'll take that under advisement. It's it's what's amusing is um, he always had a tackle on one. Well, how would you know? But. Right, but he was so rarely on the field. So, when, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about when you talk about, you know, ball, this was the game I played my um, my black card into. Mm-hmm. So I was actively chasing the ball and trying to keep control of the ball. And out of nowhere, between between Graves being on the board and Scalpel being on the board, and uh, um, I don't think he had his missed. He had somebody else. But basically there was there was magically two to three good players and I say magically because I wasn't expecting it. And Graves like walked up to Mist and went, "I will take that ball." Mm-hmm. And I went, "What do you mean? You you can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting. It, so I think that yeah, it is nice to see yeah. the changes bring out some of the new players, mm-hmm. right? And I say new being players that we just didn't see much before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, or not in the case of, uh, Venom. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little sad. I, I, I'll say Venom. I wanted is... him to, I wanted him to, to, to be solved, but. Yeah. I, once I get sure my alchemists, I, I think Venom is such an amazing model. I'm going to be hard pressed not to put him on the table. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it is disappointing to hear that, um. I'm going to struggle with him. Well, again, <laughs> there's probably a, there's probably a way that he works. It's just not a way that and it the probably the answer is he works great when you play a game that that Phil doesn't enjoy playing. Right. Because I will bite off my nose to spite my face to not play you know, a slow holding action or a, a you know, a, a control game you know i will i want to i want to move players really far and kick goals and if you don't if you don't somehow support that fantasy then um doesn't work for you uh, it's just not fun i mean like i can make it work it's just not fun and at the end of the day i don't play enough games right now for them to not be fun (laughs) Right. I would rather I would rather lose I would rather lose a game where I kick the ball twenty seven times <laughs> than win a game where I kicked it twice. You know, 
<sighs> so that's a. Uh, but then you know, I never, I never did pretend that I was the. The. Uh, the person to go to for advice on how to actually play the game, despite the fact that I uh, solicit questions from people on how to actually play the game. Right. And speaking of uh, speaking of questions, why don't we go ahead and uh, ask Sherwin some questions? Uh, yeah, we'll ask Sherwin some questions. Maybe we'll ask somebody else some questions, and then um, we will because recording interviews on Christmas week that's easy to do. Right. Um, <laughs> so we'll see what happens. And then uh, we'll come back and we will answer some questions from people who do what we do, uh, just not when we do. So we will see you on the other side. All right. So we have the, the pleasure of once again saying hello to our friend Sherwin, who is, of course, the... The master of all things story for uh, for Guildball, who's come on to talk with us about that Butcher Civil War that we just had. How you doing, Sherwin? I'm doing fine, thanks, Phil. How you doing? I am. I am great, man. So, uh, yeah. So we uh, we all had a, a really good time at at, at SteamCon, and uh, one of the parts of SteamCon that I think a, a lot of people were pretty excited about was, of course, the the announcement of the conclusion to the to the Butcher Civil War during the keynote, and uh, as everyone should know by now, uh, Brisket was able to pull off a a hair's breadth win right at the end there. After honestly, after trailing for most of it, I think it was a uh, it was a surprise to many. Uh, yeah. Certainly. Uh, a welcome surprise to me because I was, of course, Team Brisket all the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so let's go ahead and, and talk about uh, maybe get the, the 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 big picture on the uh, the Civil War there. Like how how far back did the the idea of doing this event go? Uh, it's an interesting question, um, mostly on the basis that that the the story arc isn't. It goes back a long way. That's nothing new at all. I mean, we we talked about that last time I was on the show. I think that's that's something that's been really sort of developing ever since all throughout season two. Um, so that's that's not necessarily anything new. It was really a case of when we decided that we wanted to do a promotional kind of campaign, um, what the best way of working it in was going to be. And um, after sort of very short discussion, it really came up that we had this this butcher storyline, which we felt was strong enough. Um, to appeal to quite a lot of people across guilds, because the the biggest thing that you have, I think, is if 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 you have these very dedicated people who play one guild, say if you play engineers and you don't care about any of the others, then how do you have any interest for a promotional campaign around another team? Um, whereas I think the Butcher Civil War was strong enough that it really drew everybody in. So that's really what sort of promoted that one. Um, in terms right. of the ideas around, sorry, go on, Phil. No, I was just I was just nodding basically <laughs> okay um fair enough so no um in terms of uh when i i honestly couldn't say uh certainly a couple of months before steamcon we were discussing it i i don't know how much it sort of uh, bounced around the head of uh, jamie gibbon our community manager or not um for longer than that or not i, I honestly couldn't think that's certainly when we started looking at my involvement to it though. all right so so what um 
What made you all choose choose Butchers over any of the other teams that were maybe facing internal conflicts? Because it does seem like just about every team in Gilball right now <laughs> has some sort of internal power struggle. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it's. I think you've got quite a lot of that um, purely because obviously we have very strong characters, um, especially when it comes to captains. Mm-hmm. And having literally just seen the introduction of alternate captains for our teams, yeah, we always were going to see. So sort of, yeah, I mean, I think of of in terms of how many of them actually sort of happy to sit by or exist in a dual sort of system. I think the fishermen are about the only one. So yeah. there's always going to be conflict in some way, shape, or form. So, but the, again, the the butcher's civil war was it's something a bit bigger than say, for example, just having uh, two captains pit against each other. It's really a whole guild related thing. It was so much bigger, and it, it represents something where it really does sort of tend to draw in the other teams. And kind of have much larger outreach outside of right. just the guild itself. So. Right, right. I mean, was there also was there also kind of the the desire to resolve that loose end with Ox? I mean, was that a was that something that you've always wanted to do, or something that maybe the community sort of pressured you guys on? Because I know that at the end of season one, you and Matt were both happy to just say he's he's done. Hmm. Uh, truthfully, it's the storyline and how we were moving with Ox was something where I, th- I think it, I don't think the Butch Civil War really dr- was driven by any sort of relation to say Ox, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly it's it's more about sometimes with our characters, and I think we'll see this in season three with some of the uh, deceased characters. Uh, so that's your first sort of subtle spoiler here. <laughs> uh, we'll see is when a character dies, it doesn't necessarily mean that. As far as the story arc is concerned, it's over. But there's always going to be repercussions that sort of expand outwards um, you know, from their death and sort of affect different characters or different storylines in different ways. And I think the Ox character, whether it be the actual character itself or whether it just be the storyline as a result of his death, either way, I think radiates outwards enough that there's certainly ample material to go with. So, right, he casts I a long shadow. Is exactly the truth. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. And when, uh, so when did you actually start start writing the the stories? I mean, how far? I guess the I guess the real question there is how far ahead were you writing? Were you writing sort of on the eve of the publications, or how far how far ahead did you sort of have your own parts of it planned? Uh, well, actually, some of the um, because the Butcher Civil War material. Uh, it's it's a nice timeline. It it starts out pretty much at uh, our first one. It starts out roughly at the beginning or the end of the sort of season two story arc. Um, but the actual Butcher Civil War uh, timeline happens throughout going into season three. So uh, by the time you get to the end of it, that's actually technically us in the future. As in, there's events in the season three book that are going to happen before that, and mm-hmm. at some point we'll catch up with them. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually used some of the material I was going to use in the season three book. Um, not a drastic amount of it, but some of some parts, because I, I really the Butcher Civil War stuff kind of got written around the same time as what the season three story arc did. Okay. And okay. so it, it's something where some parts of it were sort of repurposed or used again uh, to sort of extra build to sort of build towards that because the two go quite hand in hand in some places. So yeah. it's so for the most part, it's the only part obviously the exception to that. Uh, was going to be the final, the final part that wasn't. I, I literally had that uh, probably about. Well, I'd, I'd broke the bare bones part of both of them 
uh, a couple of weeks beforehand purely because we wanted to see how close it was going to be. We wanted to see how how this was going to work out, and when it ended up being so close, it really kind of pushed it back and back and back. Right. So, right. Uh, so were you thinking uh, originally that maybe the because you know for those who haven't who haven't read it, you should go read it and then continue this interview. Uh, the the end of the, the story arc is very much sort of a, a pyrrhic victory for Brisket. You know, basically she she gets to live is the <laughs> the victory. Yeah. Um, had the had the voting been a bit more uh, strongly in her favor, had you did you have another outcome in mind that was maybe a more a more dramatic, uh, clearer victory for her or? Was that sort of always the best case scenario for somebody going so much against their own guild? Do you know, there's several different endings uh, currently sitting in the recycle bin of my <laughs> laptop, uh, which I don't think we'll ever see the light of day. Um, but I can certainly tell you that, yeah, there, there, there's multiple endings that we could have had. Yeah. And uh, this is one of them. Okay, all right. Well, it, it certainly... Uh, it, it begs for more story. I think we can we can agree to that. <laughs> yeah, it's as as I kind of hit that again. It's people, and I know with uh, I know Bryce. I think has mentioned on on uh, online before. We are going to see some other elements to this story. Mm-hmm. So it's it's certainly not done. People who are perhaps have other questions or are more interested in hearing about more parts of it. Uh, that's certainly out there. Um, right, right, season right. three will certainly do that. So yeah, so I would I mean I would expect it to to weave its way through the the season three rule book if only in the 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 butcher sections but uh i wouldn't be surprised especially after like the parlay installment and stuff like that for there to be uh for this to be only the beginning of <laughs> the civil war's uh yeah, influence def- on the story yeah definitely i mean it's what one of the crucial things that i think this demonstrates is is how much the other guilds are drawn into it as well mm-hmm. and Whilst we might not necessarily see immediate impact, and that's not me saying we won't, but whilst we might not see uh, some impact initially, the sort of alliances and the packs and the bonds and so on that we hinted that uh, are sort of being made by Brisket. And also we t- talked about in season one as well, I think you've got some magisters talking about kind of how the different guilds exist in careful uh, connection with each other, via various different truces and so on, right. alliances. You're certainly going to see some more of that come out. Neat. So, did you have a uh, did you have a, a favorite? Was, was or were you able to be completely impartial, or do you have a did you have a sentimental uh, attachment to one or the other captain uh, or one of the other competitors? Truthfully, I don't have a sentimental attachment to attack uh, a sentimental attraction. That's the wrong words completely. I'll put my teeth back in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a sentimental kind of uh, issue on either of the characters, uh, but I did flip-flop around between which one I kind of preferred as a story arc. Okay. Um, so I was relatively impartial. I was completely impartial when I was writing them, but I, I kind of started out and really thought, yeah, well, I hope the brisket storyline wins. I think that's more interesting. Or one of the brisket storylines, for example, because it's mm-hmm. obviously several. Um and then kind of kept on going with that, and then halfway through, changed my mind completely, and started putting in results for Fillet instead, uh, as a result of my games, and kind of changed sides. And then by the end of it, it switched back to Brisket again. <laughs> so um, honestly, on, uh, as much as fact as much as I can say I'm impartial, I probably was just as bad as everybody else. 
Now, did you have uh, did you have a lot of the other staff uh, sort of pushing agendas on you as they uh, as you were working on this? Was there a uh, uh, insider influences trying to to uh, affect the do outcome? You know, do you know, I probably could. Yeah, it'd be so much more interesting if they had, uh, <laughs> and I could actually sort of have this sort of uh, fantastic story about how we all kind of. Uh, we all kind of argued with each other about it. No, in truth, uh, everyone was pretty cool. They left me alone to write my stuff. Um, they kind of obviously took one look at it afterwards and said, yeah, we like this. Or I could tell which sides, which ones of them favored, for example. Um, they made uh, Some people made that very clear. But no, it's um, everyone was pretty good with that. They kind of left it alone. And they uh, at the end, of it, they seemed to like what I wrote. So good times. Very good. <laughs> So what uh, were were you surprised by how close it was? Was uh, were you expecting a uh, a, cl- a close uh, a close vote or? It's interesting. Um, I think initially uh, we all kind of thought it was just going to be a landslide to fill it. Honestly, uh, really? that, that, that's that's probably that's probably the wrong way of saying that. I don't think so. I think Matt and I were originally talking, and we both felt that it would be one where let Philip would take it because we thought there'd be more Philip players out there perhaps than Ox players. And that's no preference to what we thought we wanted to happen or mm-hmm. any reflection on the storyline or where we wanted the game to go. It was more so much a case of we just kind of both sort of sat there thought about it and went, that's probably where it's going to be. And we were immediately presently surprised by how much the community kind of really sort of really did pick a side. That was, if anything, what was really nice about the whole Butcher's Civil War campaign was seeing things like... Um, TNG Productions did, for example, with the uh, the cosplay and all of the areas and other things, T-shirts and stuff like that, and various other people really got into it, which right. is really cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. I think that. Uh, I mean, did you get the sense that people were really supporting the the player that they liked to use in the game as opposed to the character that they liked more? I mean, was that sort of the uh, the sense of it, or were people really detaching the characters from the models when it came to the emotional investments that were being made in this event? In all fairness, I don't think I'm the right person to give that answer to because I only speak to the guys who are really invested emotionally with the storyline. So they all told me they were following a character they liked the most from that perspective. Um, I imagine if you were to talk to Jamie or one of the other guys who sort of see the more technical side of our game, they'd probably tell you they backed the one they used the most in the games. <laughs> that That... that... That sort of surprises me because I I only approached this as a character event, but I should know better at this point <laughs> <laughs> that the things that make perfect sense to me are usually the 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 opposite of reality. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I had some, certainly had some people sort of say to me, "I always cap, I always play Captain Phillips, so that's why I want her to win." Yeah. But at the same time, that's purely because they said, "Well, Phillips, my girl, you know, I like her in the storyline, and that's why I always play Captain Phillips." Right. So, I, I think again, it, it's something where my my certainly my feedback is that people went with the way that they preferred the storyline to be. Okay. That's because when a lot of people talk to me about this stuff, it's regarding the storyline i don't you know very rarely do people talk to me about game balance or kind of how they feel different characters mm-hmm. or different mm-hmm. stack up well i wonder and and i have no i have no data on this that I, I don't know that that you would either i wonder how many of the 
I wonder if how long people have been with Gilball had much impact on it. Because, you know, for those of us who've been in it since the start, you know, we had a year and a half more with with Brisket than with, with Fillet. And, of course, when, when she came into the game, it was kind of as an outsider and an usurper. So I think that in some respects, I think maybe the old timers might have a little more attraction to, to brisket just straight off. I don't know. I wonder if that's a, I think that might be a good one for, for people to maybe uh, message me about and let me know if your, your time in the game had any impact on your feelings on this event. Sure. That sounds like a good question. Yeah. I, I much like you have no input on that because I don't have the data to back it up, but yeah. I rather suspect that might be the case. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, and especially given that Brisket was always one of the, I mean, literally one of the poster girls for the game, right? I mean, the, mm. I think some of those first stand-ups that they made were, uh, were like Brisket yeah. and Shark, you know? So I, uh, Yeah, definitely. I was looking over some old emails um, a little while back, and I actually found some of the first documents that Matt sent over to me way, way, way back when, before the Kickstarter even happened. Mm. And uh, she's one of the first ever characters we had. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that's pretty cool. All right, so what uh, what the are you looking forward to most about the uh, the future as a as a guild ball writer, uh, either involving the the Civil War or other words? What is the what what has the Civil War kind of given you that you are relishing? Honestly, it's I sort of said it before. It's been so good to see how much. Um, the reaction is, you know, how, so positive. How much, how, how positive the reaction's been to mm-hmm. the Civil War, and to see how much people really got into that. Uh, it was very. I mean, I kind of had an idea um, that people kind of liked what I wrote, for example. But and then that reaction, plus also being at SteamCon and being approached by so many people who are so into what we do, yeah. um, that was so humbling. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, honestly, I'm really looking forward to seeing what people think of the season three book. Um, I kind of got asked a question in one of the seminars at SteamCon about what my favorite story arc was. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't really want to talk about um, kind of anything that might come up in season three, I, I kind of went the answer of, oh, I'd like the end of the season one book. I think that's quite an iconic finish. And then just rereading over the stuff I've done for season three, it's, I think all of my favorite parts that we've had so far, that we've got so far are actually in the season three story. So I really can't wait for people to read that going forward. Well, I know uh, I'm looking forward to it already, but that makes me uh, look forward to it more. Speaking of the uh, the SteamCon, uh, you did uh, what three or four different seminars? Was that was that a fun experience for you? Did you enjoy getting up and and talking in front of the the group and answering questions, or was that? I mean, I know that's like my least favorite thing in the world to do. But <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I've, um, I've I've kind of done them before in terms of I've. Uh, I've been to various different seminars for other game systems, all that sort of stuff. But so I'm, I was familiar enough with the format; it wasn't kind of going to be a. Mm-hmm. This is quite scary. How does this work? Um, and I think on the first one, I'm relatively confident as it goes forward. So yeah, I think for the first one, I kind of had all various different members of staff saying, "You know, do you want us there? Do you, you know, do you need us there?" And I think it's like, "No, just leave me alone, and <laughs> I'll blast through this first one. The nerves will be gone, and then I'll be great yeah. for the rest of the weekend." And uh, that's kind of how it happened. They were great fun. I thoroughly enjoyed myself at SteamCon, and I think the people I spoke to seem to be uh, into it. They seem to like Mm -hmm. what it did, so... 
Well, I would say your your seminars at SteamCon were really conversations. I thought that was a that was nice. I mean, you know, you gave you gave kind of long answers, but it was a lot of it was a lot of just questions and answers and all right, everybody, come on, let's all huddle up here in the front and and we'll just talk about the story. I thought that was a uh, I actually really enjoyed the just sort of the character of the the uh, the lectures that you gave. So. If anybody's able to go to yours next year, I would say uh, they would definitely be ones to go to. Okay, cool. Thanks very much. Um, I'm, it's it's good to hear. I, that's kind of what I tried to do because the last thing, the worst thing in the world is when you're sitting there and you've got an hour of basically just listening to someone drone on about something, and it really saps the enjoyment. Now, if it could be the, it could be a subject that you're incredibly into, enthusiastic about, and if the person just drones on about it endlessly and you don't get a chance to interact, it just ruins it. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely something I'm going to avoid. So, hearing that that actually worked is fantastic. I'm pleased. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that I'm glad that I could give you the the Yelp review that you needed. <laughs> Excellent feedback. <laughs> All right, Sharon. Well, I. Appreciate you coming on as always, and uh, we cannot wait to uh, we can't wait to see what what happens in uh, in season three. And as always, I'm going to say that Flint needs a boyfriend, and uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. <laughs> Fantastic! Thanks very much for having me, Phil. All right, anytime. This is Bill with Guild Ball tonight. I have the. Um... Well, you know what, Alex? You are soon to be infamous Alex Hall <laughs> on the line. <laughs> and you're going to be infamous simply because of the topic we're about to talk about. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so I heard a rumor right. um, that when, uh, how do I put this nicely? Uh, when the playtesters get stuck and to use the uh, parlance of the person I heard the rumor from, uh, they need an idiot to come up with a good mechanic. They come to you. Uh, good <laughs> is like an idiot, entirely accurate. Like, in, there's nothing wrong with that phrase at all. Good is the one that I'd probably take issue with. Um, but yeah, like obviously a lot of my time while I work at Steamforge goes into the Dark Souls game. But in the design office, the, the desk order goes... Perkins on one end, me in the middle, Bryce on the other end. And oh, it's kind Lord. of, those two are Guild Ball, Guild Ball, Guild Ball, Guild Ball, and then there's me stack it, stuck in Dark Souls land. And then every now and then they'll just be discussing something where they're not, you know, they've got to play. A lot of it came up with like the redesigns of Ballista and Midas. And Midas I had a bit more the heavy sort of involvement with because he's the player that I really liked. Well, okay. liked temporarily and then hated him for a while <laughs> and now like really like him again um and it's it, their legendaries like i was kind of the go-to point on those because you kind of you you do hit a point when you're trying to do a legendary for a player and when you're you're sort of trying to come up with the design ideas for them where they need to to fit they need to fit into what that player is supposed to do and when you you're redesigning a player, you you need to make sure that you're getting the the concept right. So with Midas, he was redesigned as not Mister I do everything. He is more striker orientated. Right, right. And his old legendary play, not only did it not make much sense because it just it basically guaranteed him a goal, 
to to a degree. It's, it's sort of you get momentum for spending influence yep. on someone that can score from anywhere. That just removes any interaction that your opponent has with you scoring that goal. And we kind of had a big focus on removing that negative play experience that you can get from that lack of interaction. So we kind of went to the drawing board and I li- literally just sat there and went, so he's a striker, so his thing is scoring goals. And he's an alchemist, so it needs some sort of interaction with conditions. And then I was like, well, that's easy. There's your trigger. The trigger is when he scores, and the effect is something to do with conditions. And I believe my initial revision, was it was going to be called Blaze of Glory, and he sets literally the entire team on fire, which I'm aware is over the top. But that's kind of where it starts. And then, you know, the, the non-idiots go and balance it and make it work. And it was sort of similar for Ballista, where it's like, all right, what does Ballista do? And we look at his card, and we're like, we're really happy with where it is. But that model has a gigantic crossbow on it, and he only has one thing he uses it for. I was like, well, there you go. Something to do with the crossbow. My initial idea was, and you're going to laugh a lot at this one because it is really super dumb, but the initial one was he shoots the goal and drags it towards him. Oh, shoots the goal. He shoots the goal. Shoots the goal. And and drags it towards him. (laughs) He shoots the actual goal itself and just pulls the goal towards him into range of all of your people that are going to snapshot and there's just like a ball a goal halfway up your opponent's side of the pitch um obviously that was probably broken so reverted (laughs) to the other one which was all right then he straps the ball to his crossbow and then shoots at the goal and then i mean at some point that was called breach ball but then we were told we weren't allowed names that were that stupid so then it just went to breach um I believe Jamie covered on on the podcast um, <sighs> that you did over the season three recap. Yep. Um, that the whole marbles getting countercharged was my doing. So I'm sure that you know he, I'm going to be hated by the Masons community for that one. Well, look, the Masons community clearly hates a lot of stuff right now. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. well, let's give them like the little snippet of turn one wrecker goals, huh? Yeah. So you were telling me the story. So so. I mean, Wrecker's not that good. Clearly, I have read the the forums. Yeah, no, Wrecker's really bad. Right? Until you receive in turn one superior strategy him, and he runs 20 inches and scores a goal. Then he's fine. (laughs) And then you watch your opponent cry as they're in this horrible toss-up of, do I try and kill the stupid two... Two uh, twos and three in the three armor. Yeah. Do I try and kill the stupid two three mascot with nine boxes that'll only give me one VP, or do I just leave him there? Like that is a way you get an opponent on till real quick. So um, how did you? I, I mean, what even clicked to make you think to do that? Because now I see everybody trying to run the math. Right? There's no way that really works. What even possessed you to give him the ball? And put superior strategy on them. So it was kind of in season one and two, whenever I played fish, the shark fish, um, I very often went for the turn one goal with salt because I didn't feel like the activation advantage really hurt the fish too much. Um, salt generally does nothing. Well, generally did nothing for apart from standing in front of the goal. Right. Why would I want to make it harder for my opponent to score? That's the easiest way I get the ball back. Why would I want to risk them missing it? So you throw him at the other end of the pitch. He scores in turn one because you have a bonus timed shot in turn one because that's really easy. Mm -hmm. And then they kill him and you don't care. Right? 
In season three, that's even better. Yeah, because he's only worth one point. <laughs> he's only worth one point. He comes back so you can do it again, which is always fun. And you get Love Creature when they hit him. So if they don't kill him by the end of the first turn, they either try and finish him off, or an idiot like me would then use him to snapshot off. But that's because I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I cannot recommend anybody snapshot off their uh, mascots, even even with you know the decrease in uh, <laughs> decrease in in uh, in target number. I mean, that takes us onto a funny story from where Bryce went to play fish at um, the Northwest Gaming Center a few weeks ago, uh, and he tried tried the turn one goal with salt didn't bonus time it and missed <laughs> and then in the whatsapp chat he was getting really annoyed at salt at which point i said it was his fault and questioned why he didn't bonus time it he said there was no point and i said in my experience bonus timing that guarantees you a screamer and he was like it's literally like alex you're an idiot you just can't do maths there's no mathematical evidence of that we get into the office on the monday after the weekend i roll three dice and get a double six i was like Told you. Of course. They just sat down and was like, not rolling them again. That's point proven. Um, and that kind of started off... The thing with the salt turn one goal is it's really easy to telegraph. Like, you, you, you have to put three on him to make it happen. Right. That's, that's really easy to telegraph. And, like, being serious for a second, the 4-1 VP trade's pretty big. You trade in, you get a goal and an extra influence, and they, if they can be bothered, only get one one VP back in return. Yep, that's that's a really strong way to start a game. Um, and I basically just started going down the list of working out who it's possible with. Turns out pretty much everybody. If you run black art, you can score turn one with strongbox. Um, yeah, I said that right. You can score turn one with strongbox. Yeah, um, um, see, now you're gonna make me do math. It's 12 inches of dodges. Oh, good lord. Um, it's a lot of... It's like on my mark and stuff. It's, on it's, my mark and Harry have to be involved in that somewhere. Uh, not necessarily Harry, but it's like you kick the ball onto Strongbox, he four-inch dodges, you on my mark it back off yep. Strongbox. And he dodges. And he dodges, and then you pass it back to Strongbox and he dodges. <laughs> and then he's dodged 12 inches. And now, now he, now he's in goal range. <laughs> um, and I basically just started going through the list of who I thought it was the most efficient for, and then I hit Masons. And looking at, at Wrecker and the way Wrecker works, giving him two activations and twenty inches of of run is really cool. But the the strongest point of it is how, like, you don't. It's not a particularly telegraphable play because. To give him a 22-inch threat range on goal, you only need to give him one influence at the start of allocation. Right. Because superior strategy gives him the second one. Alternatively, you give him two, and then he's got a 24-inch threat range on goal. And the big part is he has ramming speed throughout that. So you just beeline him towards all the one-inch melee players, and there, there ain't much they can do about and, it. And they just bounce away? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Oh, it's, my goodness. It's pretty cool. It's pretty dumb, so, but it's pretty cool. So, uh, I, 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 I'm not even sure where to go with like I. So, so this had to have helped when you were designing Dark Souls, right? I mean, how many times did you run into a sticking point, or was a sticking point run into about trying to come up with either a boss's ability or, or you know, some some new way to put a grunt out to attack with that you were the go-to guy to go, 
why don't we do it this way? A lot of it was uh, definitely some of it on the the boss special rules. Some of it on um, a lot of like the more funky special rules on equipment. There's a few special rules on like rings and stuff, which are the Ooh. function as the armor upgrades. Where it's kind of this is our opportunity to play around with the mechanics a bit outside of the normal and put a whole new spin on things. So then, coming back to Guild Ball, at the keynote you said Guild X, as yet unnamed guild, mm-hmm. was your favorite guild to play. Mm-hmm. How much uh, crazy uh, non-traditional mechanics are in that guild now that we know you're the you're the uh idiot mechanic idiot. guy you can, yeah you could say idiot <laughs> um i mean perkins has done a lot of the groundwork on those so maybe not as much as i'd like yet there's some really funky stuff there's some really <laughs> funky stuff um a lot of funky activation order stuff mm. and i don't mean that in the same way masons do it okay it's it's more like you, the, the specific ways you can do things enable you to do some bonkers stuff and i'm not saying any more than that because i'll get in a lot of trouble yeah i was just see this is where i was just going to be quiet and let you keep talking until you you stopped yourself (laughs) i've listened to this podcast bill i know how it works you know i I gotta do what i can right so okay so so strange mechanics uh so what else is yours so midas is yours uh, you know, clearly everybody's favorite with the uh, with the uh, monkey time is yours. Oh yeah, yeah, and, uh, love that change. In in breach, which I mean, come on, even if it was going to be breach ball, best name ever. Although I have to admit, I think I may have to work into my next big league a card that moves, you know, moves the goal forward for uh, ballista. That's cool, right? <laughs> that one should have been in, right? What? Funny you say that. So, so I just did a, I just ran a charity event. Um, I don't know. I, do you guys in the UK have anything like food machine or, or yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Where you get to you do a tournament and you get to cheat basically in the game. Yep. So this year, my local area, the food machine, we combined it with guild ball and it was food machine and food ball. Mm-hmm. So, and we don't run a full blown tournament. What we run is more of an achievement day. For the War Machine side. So I had to come up with ways for Guild Ball players to cheat. And one of them was donate X number of food items to move your goal two inches. Or donate X number of food items to move your opponent's goal two inches on the board. Is that it? You should have had it donate a certain amount and swap goals. (laughs) So your opponent's goal is your goal. (laughs) So you just turn around and score. Uh, I I, that, I think that's going in for next year. <laughs> yep. Four <laughs> uh, goals. Someone donates a certain amount of food. There's a there is a goal. One single goal put slap bang in the middle of the table, and everyone <laughs> scores in the communal goal. Everybody scores the communal goal. Nice. So okay. So does that mean you have how much input did you have to? Um, I guess it's not called disorganized play anymore. Mob football association. Weird ways to play. Um, I I think the the shining example of marvelousness in that document is the dodgeball one, which is entirely down to Bryce. Yeah, um, that was that was Bryce's brainchild. There are a lot of formats that we are playing around with that aren't in yet. Okay, but may go in. Uh, me and Jamie both put up pictures, so I finished for work yesterday. 
uh, me and Jamie had been doing quite a lot of playtesting on bits uh, throughout the day. And we kind of just hit that point where we're like, I'm so burnt out at this point, but don't want to sit around <laughs> doing nothing productive. So yeah, let's find weird we ways to play Guild Ball. We decided that mascots, as much as I love mascots, mascots are maybe maybe could be seen as a, a restriction. Um, in fact, in some ways, maybe even normal players could be seen as a, a restriction. The game would be way more fun if you could just take six captains <laughs> um, and draft pick them. So we might have done that, and it was ridiculous amounts of fun. At some point in turn one, I had a fillet charging towards me with deletion, superior strategy, and quick foot honor, um, with vet rage wandering up behind her to red fury to attack more. Um, and after the turn that that happened, which was pretty painful... I may have popped my Ox Legendary and proceeded to delete four of his players with my various captains. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a really fun format, but entirely (laughs) a format based around how dumb broken could things be. Um, That's a really fun one. I want to experiment with one where we do the flip side of what I just said and said captains are boring, normal players are boring. What's really fun is mascots and then have six mascots versus six mascots on a two by two first to six wins. Nice. Uh, That sort of thing. There's a lot of weird alternate formats that I think you can put in there. So I think what we need to do is we need to petition, right? We need to do the... um... 2017 Guild Ball World Championship played by a different format designed by Alex every <laughs> round. Oh, God. Because no. if they really are the best players in the world, clearly they can adapt. <laughs> oh, God. You don't want to put that on anybody. All players deployed on the halfway line <laughs> for both teams. Well, but this is where you get your dream from the uh, keynote, right? The uh, striker who scores from behind the goal. Oh, man, I want that so much. (laughs) The snake-style striker. It's like themed off the man with many masks from Game of Thrones where they can run off the pitch and appear Mm. on the other side. I want that so much. (laughs) I want that so much. It would be the best thing. Just go in, run off the pitch, your end, with the ball directly behind the goal. And before any of the rules lawyers out there say the ball would scatter as soon as it went off the pitch, it should, but it won't, as I said so. (laughs) And then they appear behind their opponent's goal, score, and then spend the momentum to make a four-inch dodge to go directly behind their own goal again, because it's really cheaty and stupid. Uh, no, That's but see, fun. but then you got to put balance in, right? So I can already hear Bryce and Jamie saying, but they have to continue to hold the ball after the goal so that you're not allowed to earn momentum after that. Uh, either that, <laughs> or he could just be really slow and only have one health. Ooh. And be twos. Nice. See, now that almost sounds like a Matt Hart solution. <laughs> oh, yeah, you just... <laughs> Very much from the Church of Matt, where it doesn't. Something is only as strong as its biggest weakness. Right. So as long as the the counter to it, like I joked around saying that we should have a fish mascot that has commanding aura. <laughs> but if it's twos with four health, 
Well, it's probably going to die before it does anything with it. But immediately when you say, give the fish a mascot that's got command and aura, it's like, no, that'd just be broken. Yep. But if all of a sudden you go, okay, then, but it's worth two VPs. It only has four health and it's twos to hit it. You go, okay, then that's not so bad. And then I say, but it's got 10 armor. Yeah, or, or it just has to sit two inches behind Corsair all the time. I mean, you know. But there's there's <laughs> Vet Catalyst is a very good example of a player that has a clear strength, but very clear very, very clear weaknesses. You know, he's he's very easy to hit. Yep. In a smoke lineup, he's a very weird one, knowing when you want to commit him. Because smoke is focused around this build up of conditions and gradually, you know, grinding them down and keeping them keeping them where you want them. As soon as you commit a 2-1 player in, you're giving them all the momentum in the world they need to get rid of that without having to come anywhere near you. So you have the time, the place that he goes in right, and he's doing four damage to himself at the end of every activation. So the, the weaknesses exist, despite the fact he has this huge strength of being able to, you know, get his 4VP takeout and all this sort of stuff. Like, there's a lot of... There's a lot that goes into that side of the game where you're kind of focusing down on we know what this player's strength is. We can't shore up all of the weaknesses because then they're broken. Right. And in some cases, it gets to a point where you need to make the weaknesses more extreme because there's no risk in there. It's just like a guaranteed thing. It's just, He's going to go in and do this, and you can't do anything about it, like hoist syndrome. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention uh, VCAT. I actually had a game against him last night where I had already, by the time he charged into a couple of my models that had conditions on them, I figured I was going to not be able to do anything. And he missed his last attack and failed to kill me by one point. And was standing there, not able to sacrifice himself. And at that point, I, I exactly what you talk about, I was like, oh, well, this is going to be fun. Thank you very much for all my momentum. Yep. And, uh, and that is, that's kind of, that is intention from the way he's designed. Yeah. So... Very, very nice. cool. We're going to keep this short, but um, now everybody knows who to blame for crazy tactics, and they're all going to be scratching their head and taking credit away from Bryce and Jamie. So I think this was a win overall. Yeah, everyone needs to go away and sit down and work out how many stupid goals you can score in mascots, because it's the way forward. Mother's one of the most fun ones. She's oh. really good at scoring goals. Score loads of goals with Mother. That's great. Um, who's there was another mascot who's surprisingly good at scoring. Oh, Scum's really good at scoring goals. Naja's not terrible at scoring goals. Yeah, but I really need to get Wrecker on the board now for my uh, <clears throat> twenty inch uh, twenty inch turn one goal. Oh, it's so good, and you can protect him <laughs> after his first movement forward with brick. It's beautiful. Uh huh. Uh, and don't don't take Flint. Flint's overrated. You don't need him when you got Wrecker. Oh, just go with Wrecker. I will. Just go with Wrecker. Okay, uh, you realize that's a sin, though, right? In Guild tonight, we don't talk bad about the plant. I'm not talking bad about it, I'm just saying he's not as good as the armadillo. Mm, yeah. The armadillo is great, it's not an insult, the armadillo is just great. So now I have to find a way to wrap this recording up so Phil doesn't edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a big long bleep. <laughs> Alex just went on a swearing tirade here. <laughs> So, thank you so much, sir, and uh, have a Merry Christmas. Thank you very much, and you too. Well, Alex Hall used to be one of my favorite people.
just record this and hopefully I won't screw up again. All right. <clears throat> All right. So we are back with our, uh, what we would normally call our Twitter question segment. And while I did answer, uh, or while I was asked most of these questions on the Twitter platform, um, they were uh, done in direct messages as opposed to <laughs> the, the public format for reasons which we discussed earlier and I don't feel like repeating because uh, I'm just I'm just a brutal dictator who runs the show with an iron fist. All right, so um, yeah, yeah, that happens. So um, so let's go ahead and help, answer. help of being oppressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, what questions you got, Phil? <laughs> All right, so the uh, the Chicago guys from Strictly the Worst podcast, which uh, is of course uh, one of the Gill Ball podcasts, uh, has to us um, what we think of Steamforge Games' uh, 2017 strategy, and if we think that they are doing a good job of meeting the expectations uh, of the of the players. So I think that the first like almost counter question there is, is what do you think the, the Steamforge games 2017 strategy is? I I was going to ask you that. I mean, uh, is there stated strategy or not stated? Is there strategy for 2017? What we saw at the keynote, which is more guilds, plastic guilds. But I suspect, I suspect that had that the question just you know knowing those guys um to the extent that i do <laughs> has which something is, to do with being competitive uh yeah which is it's the, the question from them probably has more to do with the game on the table um so what i would say then is what what i take the the 2017 strategy on the table to be is the idea of making the game more uh you know, I, I guess that the the way to describe it that doesn't do it justice is to say that it's elevating the kicking game, which isn't precisely what they want to see happen. I think that what they're really after is they want to see more fluidity to the game. They want a game that plays a little bit faster and is somewhat more cinematic with more just the ball moving around more. Now, if it happens to move into the goalpost, so much the better, <laughs> but you know, when yeah, you've I, got I have that same philosophy, if I kick the ball and it <laughs> happens to move into the goalpost, well, no, but I think, I think that the way that we qualify that statement is to say that, you know, we, we saw the introduction of a lot of players in season three who's, who have abilities that rely upon cause or encourage the ball to move you know we've got harry we've got bonesaw we've got midas we've got blackheart um the idea of the ball moving around is very much at the heart of season three and you know um and you know with uh with with uh, the the Chicago guys in particular, you know, they love to talk about the resources of the game and the ball being one of the resources of the game. And, you know, we see that resource being spent to, to larger effect in season three than in previous years. And I think that that's good for the game. You know, we, 
in earlier in earlier incarnations of the game, going all the way back to the earliest days of the game, when there were um, other sy- systemic issues that sort of caused this to be inevitable, you would you would a lot of times see players end up sort of standing in the middle of the pitch, and even in games that were weren't um, even in games that weren't necessarily. Uh, fights, you know, where it wasn't a scrum, it was just players standing in the middle of the pitch. And what all these extra teamwork actions bring to the game is a lot of repositioning. And, um, you know, that's going to open up, uh, it's going to move players around more, it's going to open things up. You know, you're going to get that extra four inches of movement here and there. And so it's not just going to be teams meeting in the middle of the pitch and then exercising their will. There's going to be more, I think, back and forth. And, you know, even beyond even beyond what we're seeing in the kicking game, I think that we've seen some changes that maybe aren't being discussed enough in the in the combat game. Uh, You know, the 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 butchers certainly weren't left behind with access to. several new uh or new to them uh defense modifiers yep uh those two things taken together you know additional dynamic movement of the ball and uh defense modifiers uh you know over the course of a 90 minute game are going to shave a few minutes off that game and so Ultimately, what I think that we're seeing is a desire to make the game faster and simply more exciting. You know, a a massive bloody kill or a ping pong goal are cinematic moments. And, you know, if, if one of the things that Matt loves to talk about is the cinematic moments of the game. And... I think that the 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 changes and the and the the you know 2017 strategy, if we can call it anything, is just a more cinematic game. And when you're talking about a game that wants to grow and a game that wants to attract players and maybe compel those people who are standing around the game at a store or at a convention watching us play it. If you're able to describe this scenario with, you know, one of these crazy Blackheart goals or something, um, you know, that's something that 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 is something that that can help grow the game. You know, we don't want this to be fantasy battle with a ball. We want this to be, you know, a freaking foosball game <laughs> you know, <laughs> with the ball just going everywhere because that's exciting. And excitement is always going to be good for the game, even if. It confounds people who really like numbers. So, <laughs> wow! I that wasn't a specific jab, but that was a um, that, that was, that that was, was more of a specific. general jab. It <laughs> was pretty specific. No, no, no. <laughs> so, uh, I, do I think they're successful? I think they're going to be very successful. Yeah. I think a lot of people are already looking at the game and figuring out how to move the ball around. I think the models that. Um, players are looking at as being most exciting at the very beginning of season three. It are the models that have a lot of ball control um, of one sort or another, ball control or ball benefit involved. Um, I actually, 
do not disagree with the uh, strictly the worst guys that the ability to kill the ball and remove that resource from your opponent is going to become a very viable top table strategy. Mm -hmm. Now, I have no way to predict if that is a strategy that will... You know, there's a couple outcomes from that. It can lead to top players accepting it and falling back into the very statistically probable, you know, ways to play. And and um, that probably ends up resolving into some sort of scrum with the person who has the ball having an advantage because the resource of the ball gives you in being able to move around mm-hmm. and reposition. The other side of that is... I kind of hope to see another group of top-level players show up who solve the how do I retrieve the ball when my opponent tries to take that resource from me. Yeah. Well, let's be fair. It doesn't have to be new people. It just has to be people doing something new. You know, we don't we don't necessarily want to say that we don't want to see those guys on the top table anymore. That's not what I mean. I don't mean new people as in people who aren't playing guild ball right now. What I mean is a right now there's a pretty at the top level of tournaments. There's a pretty direct way to play. And I think Tim, you know, not I think, Tim Tim talked about it a great deal about swapping up and going for riskier plays and and going for more ball scoring and whatnot was how he chose to play because he knew he was playing into a very specific meta, not just with Jordan, but across the rest of the top tables at Worlds when you look at the top tables at, at most tournaments. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, you always have your, you always have, uh, your handful of top players who come in with very high, sc- you know, high scoring teams or, you know, a couple of different more cinematic moves. But the reality is the bulk of the top tables fall into a similar style of play yeah, because that was the style of play that was predictable right. and was able to get you to the top tables and was most successful most of the time. Right. So, looking at that, you know, it's... Yeah, and Strictly the Worst has talked about that with with their sort of elaboration on whether whether you want to play for the high-risk, high-reward, or the low-risk, high-reward right. <laughs> kind of uh, game. So, right. no, I think this is a... Uh, I think that it, it it's a it's an interesting discussion, but uh, and I think we probably have a couple of uh, we we have a little bit of time to see how that pans out. Yeah. What is kind of sad to me is I'm not sure that's going to completely pan out by the time the U.S. championships roll past. Yeah. I really think we won't see sort of the quote unquote answer to this, if you will. Yeah. Uh, we won't start to see things settle in from a tournament standpoint until probably early summer. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that's where things will start to click. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I'm painting graves, veteran graves right now. (laughs) And it just occurred to me that he looks an awful lot like Danny Trejo. Yeah. All right. But that's, you know, that's an aside. So, uh, okay. (laughs) I think it's the mustache. All right. So the, the next question came to us from, uh, 
Who Cares Who Wins, uh, Chris uh, Rudder in particular, who asked us uh, if we would, among other things, believe me, because when, when you ask Chris Rudder to ask you some questions, um, <laughs> hold on. And, Phil, and, and we said we will never talk about those other questions. We will questions. never so talk just, about those questions. Just the one we're going to answer. We'll never <laughs> talk about those questions. All right, so, but the one that we'll answer, and it was interesting because I actually, well, we'll get to it. So he asked if we would rather play 100 games with one team or 100 games with 100 teams. Do you want me to um, answer this first so you can be shocked? Yes, I want you to answer this first so I can be shocked. <laughs> so so would, would we rather play 100 games with 100 teams right. or 100 games with one, team? with one team? And if I had to choose between the two, I would very quickly go to 100 games with 100 teams. Mm-hmm. See, and that surprises me because I would have thought, now I do know that you have, you know, team ADD and that you do like to, to play everything and that you want to own everything. You want to play everything. But I would say that in like this desert Island scenario where you were locked into this one, uh, unlikely, (laughs) right. Where you're locked into this one unlikely sort of, uh, groundhog day scenario that your desire to do well in the competitive side of the game would have you sort of uh, answer the prisoner's dilemma on, on in favor of just getting good enough with one team because i think that the the trade-off that you make here is variety versus skill right and while I am happy and thrilled to answer the question on the side of variety, I do think that people with competitive aspirations may be better off taking the other path. Or do we just fall back on the fact that that might not be as fun? Um, you are... I. I do not think you are wrong. I would say you are right. <laughs> people with competitive <laughs> aspirations... <laughs> should play a hundred games with one team right because they will be so well practiced it becomes muscle memory mm-hmm. you know they just they master that team they know all the ins and outs and and everything they can do mm-hmm. however I, I even getting ready to go over to SteamCon and and play in the qualifiers for worlds i struggled and actually had a couple of friends who stayed on me about why don't you have your union team on the table? If you're going to play union, why don't you have that team on the table? Which players, you know, why did you switch up and go to this, go to that? Um, I, I struggle not to, not to pull out a different team every game. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be that I cycle back to union. And then when I play competitively, they're the team that's clicked best with me. Mm -hmm. All right. Fair enough. So you are not as, you are not at win as win at all costs as, uh, perhaps I would have wanted you to be so that my stereotype of tournament players could be maintained. Yeah. I was going to say my, my record should have answered that well. (laughs) Win at all costs. (laughs) It's win when I get lucky. Are you kidding me? But if I don't have straw man arguments to make against tournament players, what good am I? (laughs) Oh, Phil, you're good. You're good enough. You're smart enough. Yeah. And people like you. Uh, None of those things are true. All right. So the the next question that we got was from, well, actually, you know, I think we kind of cheated. Did you? Well, well, we kind of cheated and, and answered most of this question 
earlier in the show, sort of inadvertently, but uh, Jake from Hall of Legend uh, asked us which teams the Universal Changes impacted uh, the most, or the least, as the case may be. Um, you know, I answered earlier that I thought that the, the fish made out very well in the, the changes, and that I had expected hunters to have done better although bill's play experience may not uh may not show that to be to be true but who else who do you who do you see bill as maybe being the the biggest winner when it comes to uh mascot changes uh icy sponge changes uh you know tap in and uh yeah, tap home in crowd. Home crowd now are are we going to include the uh the uh, organized play union restriction in the overall changes. Well, I mean, I, cause there's I an suppose... argument to be made that in that case, morticians actually got hurt a lot. Mm. Um, yeah, it did. It did change their, their sort of, uh, most common builds, which yeah. mostly included two union players. So, um, I you know what fish fish I do think came out at the top of the the universal changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually believe engineers are going to be seen as as getting a a double buff, if you will. Right, they're already so reliable with four dice shots pretty much across the team. I think that the universal changes are going to help them a great deal, mm-hmm. and in addition to all the changes, all the other changes on their team, which uh, put them in a very good spot. You mean um, like all the changes because they got all the changes, they got all right. the changes. <laughs> so um, I'm so afraid to try to play engineers. <laughs> I have no I, idea what they do anymore. I've yeah, faced them a couple of times, and yeah. I am I am in that sweet spot right now where all my local engineers players. Are so overwhelmed with what they do yeah. that right, they haven't enough. quite gelled yet. Now is the I time. Am, now is yeah. the time to play your engineer's friends. I am They're terrified lost and to confused. see what happens when they. Uh, um. Wow. From the, I would say at the bottom of the stack are probably masons and um, hunters. Okay. Um. I. I want to say that hunters benefited. And when I look at overall, you know, the, the tap in should have benefited them, but I'm not sure hunters are. I, one of the reasons that Hearn was such a struggle in the past is that hunters weren't getting him within four inches of the goal to make that beautiful goal shot. Mm-hmm. I still don't think hunters are pushing to be within four inches of the goal. They're, they're focusing on how to isolate a target, which is typically not near the goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right and um, well, yeah, and, and giving him a six-inch kick range doesn't mean that he gets to exploit tap-in. So right, right, yeah. and you know, and and they don't have the best. I would say of of a lot of most of the teams, hunters have some of the worst counterattacks. Mm. So getting that home home crowd advantage doesn't really help them either. All right, um, you make a good point. You know, <laughs> masons. Masons have a great use for that initial momentum because Masons do have some really good, uh, well, Masons have two things. So I think home crowd being just a standard, you know, get your momentum when you don't get an, get, uh, initiative really benefit flinging Flint down the field with the ball to make a goal. Mm -hmm. 
and really benefit counterattacks. However, I think Masons like to shoot at at range, and you know, even if you even if I look at the type of the models that uh, that are typically you're going to want to get close. It ends up being people like Mallet, who gives himself football legends, so doesn't need to be up so close. Um, you know, Hammer, who already has a great kick stat. So I think Masons also don't really get as much benefit from the from the um, the tapping, you know, mm-hmm. overall change. Mm-hmm. And then the 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 mascots coming back. I think the only people who really suffer from that is uh geez if i go to it i think the only the only team that really suffers from the mascot coming back i think everybody equally benefits and then morticians uh because both dirge and the rats neither one of them do a great thing being fully tied in Mm -hmm. because they are not that hard to kill they're some of the easiest you know dirge is one of the easiest ones to kill in the game well, you know, you know who you know who suffered from the mascot changes was Alchemist, Smoke Alchemist specifically, because they used to get two points so easy. Mm. That's a good point. Now they need to either settle for one or do that twice, uh, because because Smoke was Smoke was pretty good at killing mascots. Yeah, at with their legendary out a mascot. Yeah. Uh, all right. Fair enough. So, uh, the next question we got was from, uh, Andrew at singled out who asked us, um, uh, sort of how we felt about a point in the future when guilds stopped growing, because that was one of the things that I love this question. Well, that's one of the things that Matt sort of answered in, I think one of the Q and A's at steam con was, you know, the question of will, you know, will guilds just constantly continue to grow and maybe water down what the the guilds do, or will there just come a point where you're kind of done and and you move on? And Matt's answer was essentially that there will come a point where guilds uh, have all the players that they're going to get. Um, so go ahead. Why don't you give your answer first? Well. Uh, this is this is a hard one for me because this is one of those this is one of those situations where I think I could make an equally compelling argument for either this is good or this is bad. Uh, my this is good argument is of course that it 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 maintains the it will help maintain the flavor and focus of the guild when you're not just trying to come up with more players uh, to to jam into it. I think that it it will allow them to create more more guilds because you know if they can only make forty ish models a, a year, uh, you know, do we really want the first dozen of them to always be more guys for old teams? Uh, you know, th- there's there's some good arguments for 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 not growing the teams, you know, forever perpetually, yeah. Uh, the argument against it is I do wonder, though, if a guild that loses its uh, it, it's sparkly new is going to become less popular 
And so if we just see, if we, if we don't see good teams uh, falling out of favor, not because they weren't good teams, but just because they don't have a new model, which I, I feel like that's kind of wrongheaded in a way. <laughs> But I do think there's an easy answer to that in that even if you stop growing the size of the miniatures line. Now, wait a minute. You're, you're sort of switching up here, right? All right. They never said they wouldn't grow the size of the miniature line. They said there is a natural stopping point for each guild. Right. Well, I meant the miniatures line as that one team is a part of it. So if, okay. if you say, you know, there will not be more than 11 players for this one team, then that doesn't mean that there won't be new cards for old players someday. And as we've seen with season three, nothing can re-energize right. a model that nobody's playing with like a shiny new card. <laughs> so I am honestly hoping that's not the case unless nice. there's balance issues, uh, which balance issues come across an entire game, right? So of course they'll, there could always be updates and I, and I can see that, but I actually like the idea that there's a, a quote unquote natural stopping point for a guild. Okay. Um, Notice, though, and, and I'm going to be very specific on this, a natural stopping point, not an artificial all guilds shall not have more than 15 models, right? But but a natural stopping point where the rule of the day would instead be thou shall not create a model that fulfills the same role in the same way mm -hmm. as something else on the team. Mm -hmm. So, and it would be, I almost think it would be even better to say... <laughs> Thou should not create a second model that fulfills the same role, period, on the same team. Right. Make it a slightly different role. But I think, as opposed to saying, do I want the blue Space Marine versus the red Space Marine versus the, the green Space Marine, who all have the same gun, same armor, same everything, and it really doesn't matter, except I got to call them different things. Now, I'm, I'm picking on GW here, but any other game does it too, right? Do I want the no-name, uh, one, one, two, or three of the no-name dudes who have the sword versus the one, two, or three no-name dudes who have the knife in my Malifaux crew, and they do eff effectively the same thing? Do mm -hmm. I want the squad of six sword guys or do i want the squad of six great sword guys in my in my um you know war machine army who their entire job is to run up the field half-heartedly hit something and die just to jam up a space on the field when you start seeing that and i think that's that's wonderful for people who want to play single a single force, a single army, a single team, right? Those diehard Masons players, those diehard Butchers players who never want to play anything but their one team. My suspicion is Guild Ball, and I hope Guild Ball is not built that way. I almost think it's better if right from the beginning, pundits who are doing demos introduce the game as you can get in with a guild, and it's great to get in with a guild, and there's enough room to expand with your guild, but you should really think of this as a two-guild game. Mm -hmm. 
right? Or, Which two or nine or or, or nine or right? But I mean, <laughs> there's going to be people out there, and instead of calling to those people who want to be the diehard Brewers player, right. hey, dude, brew, be the Brewers slash Hunters player, or be the like pick two guilds that have a different play styles. You get a good breadth and two that you really like the look of. Right. And then there's enough room where nothing is going into a team that duplicates other things the team is doing. So the team always feels fresh and there's always choices and tough choices. I don't mean choices between do I take this damage dealer or that damage dealer. Right. I mean choices between do I take this efficient, do I take this highly efficient damage dealer or this less efficient damage dealer who also does a little bit of buffing outside. Mm-hmm. Like those are real choices as opposed to just do I punch you in the face or do I punch you in the face the same way just with a different model? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I think that uh, it, it's a question that we're going to see answered though, right? I mean, that's that's one of the things is that this is it's an interesting question and I don't know that many active games have tried to answer this question in this way before so it'll be it will be interesting to see uh to see what this what this changes in the way people think yeah yeah Yeah. so all right cool so then our our last uh our last question is from uh the uh the guys at tko it's uh you know Dan and Steve, not that Steve, another Steve, who, uh, and that would be the kickoff podcast if you don't know what TKO is. The guys with their own box set. The guys with their own box set and their own bingo card, but that's a that's the joke for another show. Um, Good joke that it is, though. It is a great joke. Ask, <laughs> ask them about it sometime. Uh, they asked us uh, what, if we think that podcasters have a if the opinion of podcasters has too much of an influence on the and i do hate this word meta yes <laughs> well i would just hope people weren't listening to me all that closely to be honest but i you know i think that i think the answer to this question is ultimately it depends on the podcast right like there are going to be podcasts out there whose goal is to teach you how to play the game. And I think the people who listen to shows like that and who process and who are open vessels for the lessons of that podcast are going to be shaped by them. And then there are going to be podcasts that sort of don't have that goal. Um, as far as the game goes and uh you know like i think in i think in our case you know if i have a goal as a podcaster if there's something that i want to shape it's not the way people play the game on the table it's the way people behave around the table you know my i i'm not going to lie and say that i'm not here trying to build a guild ball community and to make it fun-loving and hobby-oriented and maybe not so damn serious. Um, 
whether I whether I succeed or not in any capacity is is irrelevant. That's that's what I am trying to do. But you are trying to influence the meta. <laughs> you are trying to influence the 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 global community of whoever listens and doesn't listen. Um, this is something. So this goes into a little bit of my personal philosophies around podcasting. But yeah. when I started my first podcast, it was started on the with with my original co-host on the premise that he was upset playing 40k that nobody was listening to his tactical advice now instead of pointing out that his tactical advice probably wasn't that great neither was mine (laughs) i pointed out that as i said to him right in the beginning and it actually used to be one of the one of the little bumpers on and the intro to that podcast um my philosophy towards podcasts has always been especially gaming podcasts any idiot will listen to any idiot with a microphone <laughs> and I think and you just described my success. Well, right. Well, but but that's the thing, right? Yeah. I I absolutely throw in there. I'm an idiot with a microphone. Yeah. And I'm not saying that from a. I'm not trying to put down everybody who listens. I mean, I you know, look, I love our listeners. I, I love the fact they listen. I love hanging out with listeners. Um, yeah, maybe you shouldn't are, call our listeners idiots. That might be a good start. Well, you know, I'm trying to join strictly the worst. I mean, come <laughs> on now. I, no, I. But I mean the reality is having a voice and having that soapbox, somebody's gonna listen. And that's sort of the, the responsibility and the downfall of being a podcaster. So we're all out there having undue influence because our reach is greater than the six, eight, two, ten people we play with every week. Right. Right. So we're going to have an undue influence. Now, the big thing is as listeners, I'm also a podcast listener and I have an extensive list of podcasts I listen to. Mm-hmm. I try to remember that serial and reply yeah. all and this American <laughs> life. And, uh, yeah. Right. I mean, and, and there's, there's a big thing as a listener there, which is I have the responsibility not to take the people who are talking on a microphone too seriously. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, you know, <laughs> caveat emptor, right? Like, I never said I was the best. I said I was first. Look, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say it, right? I'll say it all the time. I am the best. But I mean, okay, let's good. see how does that really prove out? You know, <laughs> right? clearly it doesn't. <laughs> True. So yeah. So yes, I, I we you know podcasters do have a. You know, to to move to move beyond some of the some of the self deprecation and the jokes, podcasters do have. Uh, you know, we we do have sort of privileges and we have responsibilities, and um, you know, I, I I will be the the first to say that you know there's there there's things that. There, there, there's reasons that you become a podcaster that are completely selfish and there's reasons that you become a podcaster which are selfless yep. and if you don't balance those well then I think that you do more harm than good to a community and uh, I think that you also probably if you don't balance those well you probably don't last very long as a podcaster and uh, one of the, you know, one of those, one of those things is, is definitely that your opinion, 
gets around more. Now, whether people change their minds based on your opinion, uh, it gets around. I mean, like, how many people would know about clear acrylic bases if they weren't my <laughs> bases, right? I mean, let's take that as just an example. Like, there is one guy in the guild ball community who puts his miniatures on clear acrylic bases. How many people in the guild ball community know about clear acrylic bases? Right. So if I was coming on here every week and I was saying player X is terrible, how many people would? Well, there's going to be a lot of people that hear that believe. Right. But but how many people would have that kind of in the back of their mind? Like, you know, if I decided to say Meat Hook is terrible and no one should ever play her against me. Uh, and by the way, Meat Hook is terrible and no one should ever play her against me. <laughs> Do you think that would affect people's team selection? I mean, even if even if they looked at her card and thought, no, Meat Hook is absolutely awesome and she's just going to wreck your team all the time. You know, maybe there's a nagging thought at the back of their head that just because I've got a microphone, maybe I know something, which as we discussed earlier in the show, I don't know <laughs> how to use Venom. <laughs> so if you can figure out Venom and I can't, you know, that, that tells you all you need to know. So, um... Yeah, but what I would say is, yes, we, we do have the ability to change the way people play. So the and question comes, though, I think, is that a bad thing? And I don't think it's a bad thing. At all. I, think, I think changing the way people play from a tactics and strategy standpoint is missing the point of what a podcaster needs to feel a responsibility for. And what I think a podcaster needs to feel a responsibility for is, is the world above and beyond the table because, you know, we do have the, we do have the ability to, to shape the discussion. And, and, and I would hope the discourse and if we can turn it towards the civil uh as opposed to the uh the unpleasant as often as possible i think that we can do that we can do something useful with our time uh and if we just decide to come on the the internet and be loudmouth bullies and 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 uh you know just complete you know unpleasant Every, people everybody should get, give phil a hug when they see him yes. and tell phil online they love him yes well At no and and GBT you know bt podcast yes. we love you phil right. and i and i will say that you know the, the guild ball community doesn't have i mean we really don't have a jerk podcast right like but you know i i've played other games in the past that, that just have that one podcast that sort of drags the whole game down a peg you know that one that's toxic the one that the one where somebody comes on and all they do is say terrible things about the company that makes the game and terrible things about the event that they went to that week and terrible things about the people they played and it's just you know i'm i'm great and everybody else sucks and that that can't be good for a community right and so you know, let that, you know, all you little leaguers out there, uh, if you're going to start a, a Guild Ball podcast and, uh, you know, based on the number of 
questions we just answered. There's a lot of people out there with Gilball podcasts. Uh, so it's yep. uh, it's all a rage. Everybody's doing it. You should too. Um, just, you know, be aware that, that what you, that the power you wield is not the power to be right. It's the power to make other people uh, want to be like you uh, in, in the most basic way. I guess I, I don't think that's the way to best describe it. it. It's the power to it's it's the power to drive a conversation, right? Like when people sit around the game store and they say, "Did you hear what that that dumbass thing that Phil said on right. this week's show?" If that dumbass thing I said on this week's show is you don't have to paint eyes, instead of saying that. You know, the, this this person uh, was, you know, smelled terrible and you should never go to any event that he's at. Um, hey, I showered. <laughs> but but the point being that, you know, those are two very different conversations to have with the community and, and they change the nature of the community in a small but measurable way. And the impact of doing it for two, three, four years, if we're lucky, uh, can be more than, than you expected. So yes, this has been the most self-serving answer we have ever given to any question ever. And I think it's fitting that it was given to the TKO guys. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, they, um, they're good guys. They, they come to my house to play go ball. So I don't have to drive to the game store. So I can't, I can't (laughs) say anything bad about them. Even though um, I'm always tempted to. So, uh, all right. So let's stop being self-indulgent and see how much of that I cut out. Uh, And we will will call this a show because uh, it got long unexpectedly. So let's go ahead and wrap it up. And I will say that uh, it has been good good to come in and visit with you all. As always, I enjoy it. And look forward to it. And uh, that's not just me being nice because I, uh, uh, you can ask my wife if I don't like somebody, they know it. So I uh, that was you trying to start a good conversation. <laughs> that was me just trying to spread the love, <laughs> spread the vibes. You know, we're well, uh, you know, we're all in this together. Let's uh, buy the world a Coke. All right. So, um, all right. That's a show. I think I'll just say goodnight, everybody. Good night, everybody. Yay. Knees up. Watch the knives. To join the conversation, comment on the show post at guildballtonight.com or email us at guildballtonight at gmail.com. Phil can also be heard on the Game Punting Podcast. Bill can also be heard on the Gamers Lounge Podcast. Check them out on iTunes. Also, Feel free to give us five stars on iTunes. Every little bit helps. But when you do, don't write a review of the show. No. Instead, just tell everybody why you love Flint so very much. Guild Ball is property of Steamforged Games Limited. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not represent the official position of Steamforged Games, Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems, Aperture Laboratories, or even the other hosts and guests dogs barking can't fly without umbrella
It is time once again for another installment of Ox's Poetry Corner. Are you telling me I have to play for Fillet? Put me back in jail. Don't cut any I need to that. cut like five minutes no. of that because I said the same thing six times. It's awesome. What? You need to leave it in. That is so self-indulgent. I I dictate the, the nature it's of the fantastic. conversation. It and I fantastic. say that the conversation should be don't paint eyes. <laughs> I have the power to do that. You know how many people have stopped painting eyes? Zero. Yes. No.